You're listening to a Toronto Centre podcast. Welcome. The goal of TC Podcasts is to spread the knowledge and accumulated experience of global leaders, experts, and world-renowned specialists in financial supervision and regulation. In each episode, we'll delve into some of today's most pressing issues as it relates to financial supervision and regulation. The financial crisis, climate change, financial inclusion, fintech, and much more. Enjoy this episode. Hello, everyone. I am Demet Çanakçı, Program Director at Toronto Centre. This podcast is based on a recent Toronto Centre Supervisor Guidance Note. TC Notes are meant to provide practical guidance to financial sector supervisors on key supervisor challenges. My guest today is Clyde Brio, the author of the TC Note on Lessons for Supervisor Authorities from Crisis Simulation Exercises, which is published this month. Clive has 40 years' experience in supervision, regulation, and related financial sector issues. He is the chair of Toronto Centre's Banking Advisor Board, participates actively in Toronto Centre Board meetings and discussions, and edits the Toronto Centre Notes series. Clive, thank you for taking the time to talk with us today. Yeah, thanks, Demet. It's a pleasure to discuss this important subject with you. Before we start, I would like to highlight that Toronto Centre has been delivering crisis preparedness and management programs since its inception. You can find related resources under Centre of Excellence in Crisis Preparedness on our website. Clive, you have been involved in many crisis preparedness programs at Toronto Centre, not only by delivering those programs, but also designing simulation exercises. Based on your experience, why do you think simulation exercises are so important for supervisor authorities? Yeah, thanks, Demet. That's a good question. Crisis simulation exercises certainly are important for financial supervisors across all sectors. Why is that? Well, it's because they provide supervisors with uh, experience in managing a crisis, in taking decisions and actions in the heat of a crisis, in communicating with all relevant parties, including other authorities, the media, financial institutions, and the public, and in cooperating and coordinating with other authorities, both nationally and internationally. So these experiences provide opportunities for supervisors and supervisory authorities to learn lessons so that they are better prepared if and when a real crisis occurs. And these lessons include how individuals and authorities may operate in a crisis, the issues that are likely to arise during a crisis, the decisions that may need to be taken, the importance of communicating clearly and proactively with all relevant parties, the importance of cooperating and coordinating with other authorities, and the importance of understanding the powers and tools available to supervisory and other authorities, and in recognising whether or not those powers are likely to be adequate 
to deal with crises, and indeed whether those powers and tools could in practice be used effectively at very short notice and outside normal working hours. Thank you, Clive. A follow-up question on that. Uh, in the TC note, you also examine the various types of simulation exercises. Why do we need so many different types? Well, in my experience, it's possible to learn lessons from every crisis or crisis simulation exercise. And those lessons will be more extensive if the simulation exercises cover a range of possibilities in terms of scenarios and in terms of who participates in a crisis simulation exercise. And the basic point here is that the the more you practice and the more you do that using a range of different scenarios, the more you will learn and therefore the better you will be prepared if and when a real crisis occurs. In terms of scenarios, they can range from the traditional failure of a financial institution because of poor credit or underwriting decisions through to the impact of cyber attacks and other operational failures, the impact of pandemics, and indeed the impact of climate change. And in some of those cases, there may also be operational and other impacts on the supervisory authority itself. In terms of participants, the participants in a crisis simulation exercise may be a real-life crisis management team from a single supervisory authority, or they may be more junior program participants from a single authority, or, as is the case with many Toronto Centre programmes, the participants may be drawn from a range of different countries attending a Toronto Centre programme and playing the role of a crisis management team with other participants who they may not be familiar with before the programme started. The crisis simulation exercise itself uh, may be played by a single authority, which might be the supervisor of a single sector, which is banking, insurance or securities, uh, or it may be an integrated supervisory authority responsible for more than one sector. And there may be other authorities and stakeholders played by role players. Or in more sophisticated Simulation sizes, there may be multiple active teams representing a number of different authorities. Uh, For example, not just a single supervisory authority covering one sector, but multiple supervisory authorities covering different sectors. Or the participants may include not just supervisors, but also a central bank, a resolution authority, and a deposit or insurance protection agency. And those multiple active teams, uh, although they're usually located within a single country, they can also be located across multiple countries to make a simulation exercise even more complicated, but also even more realistic. Thank you, Clive. Could you please briefly talk about the lessons learned from simulation exercises versus lessons learned from experiencing an actual crisis? In general, how relevant they are. Well, thank you, Demet. I think to a large extent, the lessons from both a real crisis and a crisis simulation exercise are actually very similar. 
are clearly in a real crisis uh, or indeed in a very bespoke crisis simulation exercise based as far as possible on country specific features and therefore in both cases reflecting the actual financial system, institutional framework and crisis management powers and tools in the specific countries or indeed countries where the crisis simulation is run, then what you are doing in those cases, an actual crisis or a very bespoke crisis exercise, is to test an authority's actual financial crisis preparedness. So that is, in a sense, the best possible test of crisis preparedness that you can undertake. But even in a more generic crisis simulation exercise, where some of the features of the exercise may be fictional rather than real life, albeit still as realistic as possible. There is still scope to test and to learn lessons from how people behave in the heat of a crisis, how they take decisions, how they coordinate and cooperate with other authorities, how they relate to other stakeholders, how they communicate with the media, uh, and whether they understand the powers available to them and to other authorities. And indeed, one point probably worth making here is that if the participants in even a generic crisis simulation exercise are sufficiently imaginative and willing to learn lessons, then one of the things they might take from even a generic exercise is that if things did not go too well in terms of communicating and cooperating with other authorities, or if things did not go too well in terms of making statements to the media, or if things did not go too well in terms of being able to access the information required in a crisis, then all of those things might lead participants to ask themselves the question, well, if that went wrong or did not go too well in a crisis exercise, does that also mean that we may have similar problems in the real world, in our own supervisory authority dealing with a real life crisis. So one of the lessons you might take back from that is to say, well, we should do some more of these crisis simulation exercises in our own supervisory authority to see whether or not we have similar issues to deal with. Uh, so that's why I say that even a generic crisis simulation exercise can be the basis for learning some important lessons around crisis preparedness and crisis management. Many thanks, Clive. Uh, now, I would like to move on to the crisis management teams. What kind of lessons we have here, including role plays by participants? Yeah, thanks for that, Demet. I think at the most general level, what we would conclude from the various exercises run by the Toronto Centre is that you know, supervisory authorities need to prepare in advance by designating a crisis management team. And that requires identifying clearly who are the senior people who are going to be in that team, and indeed clearly designated deputies for each of those individuals, because members of the crisis management team may not be available when a crisis occurs, or they may need to be substituted during a crisis because you know, they become worn out dealing 24-7 with a crisis. The crisis management team needs to contain within it different skills which might be required in a crisis. Uh, and that's likely to include supervision, 
policy, legal, media, accounting and auditing, human resources, and IT, and perhaps some others. Clear procedures for who can call a crisis and how a crisis management team is activated and clear procedures for where that crisis management team meets and what resources it has available to it, and clear procedures for changing the composition of the crisis management team in response to the circumstances of any crisis. So, for example, different skills, knowledge and experience may be needed in different circumstances, such as where a crisis involves a cyber attack or other IT failures. It's also necessary to have clear procedures for how the crisis management team will operate, including its relationship with the senior executive team of the supervisory authority, the board of the supervisory authority, and the crisis management teams of other key authorities, both in the country and where necessary in other countries, and clear procedures for creating and activating a combined authority crisis management team should the circumstances of a crisis require that. Another point about practicing being a crisis management team is that this may reveal something about how different individuals behave in crises. And one of the things that we tend to find is that the best performers in a crisis may not necessarily be the best performers in more normal circumstances. And the composition of a crisis management team may need to reflect that observation. And most importantly, crisis management teams should keep practicing and learning. All teams need to practice working together so they can operate as effectively and efficiently as possible, both individually and collectively. And in the absence of a real crisis, the only way in which a crisis management team can get that practice is by participating in crisis simulation exercises. So again, that's another reason why it's so important to run not just one, but multiple uh, crisis simulation exercises over time so that the crisis management team can practice its role as much as possible. Thank you very much, Clive. Um, Very important indeed uh, to practice, keep practicing and learning. Thanks for that. As you discuss in the TC note in more detail, in a crisis, each authority will need to consider a long list of stakeholders. Why this is one of the key areas to deal with? Yeah, thanks, Demet. I think this is a key area because it is necessary, first of all, to identify the key stakeholders, and second, to identify how you would contact them in a crisis. And that may mean that we're talking about how you would contact them outside normal working hours. So in the middle of the night or over a weekend or whatever it might be. And in a crisis, each uh, supervisory authority is likely to need to consider quite a long list of stakeholders, each of whom may be potentially valuable as first a source of information and data to the supervisory authority, a second, as a joint decision maker or an input to decisions made by the supervisory authority. So, for example, a supervisory authority may need inputs from other supervisory authorities, the central bank, Ministry of Finance, whatever, as part of the supervisory authority's own decision making. 
Uh, third, it may be that a stakeholder is actually a provider or a facilitator of solutions. So if you have a problem at a financial institution, it may be that another financial institution uh, might be interested in purchasing the failing financial institution and therefore providing a private sector or market solution to the problem that does not require any input of public sector funds. And last but not least, a stakeholder may be someone who needs to be communicated to proactively or reactively to influence their actions and behaviours. So the list of relevant stakeholders is likely to include at least other national authorities and relevant foreign authorities, depending on the nature and details of the crisis. So other supervisory authorities, central bank, ministry of finance, resolution authority, and depositor policyholder and investor protection agencies where they exist, financial institutions and financial market infrastructure, the general public, including depositors, policyholders, investors, members of pension schemes, or anyone else who interfaces with financial institutions. I've already mentioned the media, who are very important, not just for press and TV, but also these days to reflect the growing importance of various forms of social media. It may be that political bodies are themselves an important stakeholder. And last but not least, professional services firms, such as accountants, actuaries, or lawyers, uh, may again be important because of the need to use them during a crisis for various purposes. And it's possibly just worth mentioning that the typical experience in Toronto Centre crisis simulation exercises is that participants do interact with many stakeholders. But there is a tendency uh, for this to be mostly reactive in response to incoming questions and requests. Participants are less likely to initiate proactive contact with stakeholders, even where this might help them to manage the crisis. Uh, for example, contacting the media to influence the reporting of a crisis, contacting financial institutions that might be part of a private sector solution, and keeping other authorities informed, even when there is no legal obligation or agreement to do so. And perhaps just one final point here, Demet. Participants sometimes also struggle to understand stakeholders' interests and concerns, and therefore how best to influence or persuade them. That long list of stakeholders I mentioned may have many different interests and objectives, so they may not be persuaded simply by the participants in an exercise stating what they want to do. One good example of this is that a Minister of Finance may prefer to spend taxpayers' money on schools and hospitals than on supporting a failing financial institution. And it's important for people to recognise that before they go cap in hand to a Minister of Finance asking for public money to deal with a financial sector crisis. Many thanks, Clive. Regarding participants' takeaways from the crisis simulation exercises, what are the main commonalities that you have observed so far? Well, Demet, as explained in the Toronto Centre note itself, 
Toronto Centre crisis simulation exercises are designed to help participants to understand better the experience of being in the midst of a crisis, the need for effective crisis management team and for practicable and clear decision-making procedures, the importance of understanding the institutional framework within which the authorities and other stakeholders operate, the importance of understanding the powers available to the authorities and how they can be activated during a crisis, the need for effective cooperation and communication among relevant authorities and indeed other stakeholders, and last but by no means least, the need to learn lessons and improve from participating in crisis simulation exercises. Uh, so all of those learning opportunities, I would say, are common to all of the crisis simulation exercises that Toronto Centre offers. And although each exercise will play out differently, there is scope for all of those lessons to be learned and to be used to improve the crisis preparedness of supervisory authorities. Thank you. Thank you very much, Clive. This has been a fascinating conversation and many thanks for your time. Much appreciated. I encourage participants to read the TC note, which can be found in the Resource Center on our website. I'm here today with Clive Brio, and you have been listening to another episode of TC Notes podcast series. Thank you for joining us today and stay tuned for the next episodes.